This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not to be construed as an offer, solicitation, recommendation, or endorsement of any particular security, product, or service. For more information, visit assetbuilder.com. From the Asset Builder headquarters in Dallas, Texas, welcome to Keep It Simple, a show that discusses simple techniques and philosophies to help de-stressify investors around the world. I'm your host, Jared Herzog, and welcome to the show. Adam, how are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great. <laughs> I'm excited for this episode. Good, 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 good. Uh, well, as always, we're happy you guys are here. Uh, we are Asset Builder. This is the Keep It Simple podcast. And today, Joey Bodinger. Oh, yeah. Joey Bodinger, by the way. Yeah. The guy who's speaking, Joey Bodinger. Yep. Should, probably, should probably do that. And yeah, Adam asked me right before this podcast if I want to do the intro. And I'm slowly regretting it. No, but, dude, you're crushing it. You're crushing it. <laughs> it's going to be a good episode. I'm yeah. excited for it, man. So this what is, we're... Uh, the start of a series. Yeah, the start of a series. Really, I mean, just a two-part series, to be honest, but a series nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's over the book called The Four Pillars of Investing. Really great book. Love it. It was written in 2002, I think, off the top of my head, if I'm right. Sounds right. Um, but I mean, all these all these principles and everything that they talk about in this book still stand true today. So, so, so much. I mean, 20 years in the grand scheme of um, investing is not the longest time horizon, uh, but it is... A substantial one or a larger one. And but we give still. a shout out to Mr. William Bernstein. Oh, yes. Who, who wrote this book. Yep. Um, yes, I did just Google it as I was sitting <laughs> here. Uh, but this is a, this goes back to uh, right when Joey, you know, started working with us. I think you asked me for a list of like, really, yeah. Like, what are some of my favorite investing books? Um, I mean, he's been powering through them at an alarming rate. Yeah. Um, this may or may not have been one of those. No, it was. Know, it but, well, Bruce gave me this one. Okay. Yeah. yeah this I was think. a Bruce one, but this yeah. is like a, one of the ones that's on every advisor's bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Um, and it should be. I, I would say every good advisor's bookshelf. Yeah. It is extremely potent mm-hmm. in its in its heft, I would say, like in its weight in terms of its data. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't like numbers and data, we're, we're going to try not to overwhelm you. But at the same time, a lot of these points that we're going to walk through today, like you got to hear the numbers because yeah. that's what, that's what drives home the point. Drives yeah. home the point. So, yeah. Bear with us through that. And, you know, this is what we would call a meat and potatoes podcast. Like, mm-hmm. this is a meat and potatoes. Just if you ever wonder why we do this podcast and why, when we do these episodes, a lot of the time we're always pulling it back to the same tenets, right? Be disciplined, be long term oriented. Don't listen to the latest, like, you know, fancy, shiny thing. thing yeah. Like, it's because of this. It's because of the data that we're going to cover in these couple of episodes. This is why. And if you don't, don't take it for, from us. Go read the book yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mr. Bernstein would appreciate it, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, but without further ado, man, let's dive in. Yeah. Um, start us off. I'm going to let yeah. you drive. So pillar one uh, is the theory of investing. Now, don't get freaked out. We're not going to go into like wild, like a dissertation here or anything like that. Um, just a little bit of what is investing really. And I think this this first point is that risk and reward are inextricably you cannot untwine them. They are forever intertwined. If you have a high risk, you will be rewarded highly. If you have a low risk, you will not be rewarded as highly. And like, so the more secure your assets are, the more secure your, your investments are, um, the lower your risk is going to be. Yep. And the number of times I've had contacts with clients that are, have a very uh, conservative portfolio and they say, why am I not up as high? And I'm like, well, you're not in as risky of investments. And so, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's that simple of an answer, really. Um, but one of the things is that as, as a whole, when, and this is really great for right now, when things look the brightest, 
returns are the lowest because in those moments, things are the most secure, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're priced, securities are priced high. Uh, and if you're investing at those high prices, your returns are going to be lower. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not go up that much. Um, but when things are the bleakest is when returns are the highest because in those moments, you are taking more risk, right? Because everything looks bleak. Um, so you're yep. going to be rewarded for taking a risk at that moment. And that's just exact. I mean, that's about as straight and cut and dry yeah. as it is. And that's... Well, and I, I told Joe before we started this episode, of the two of us, I'm, I'm the guilty one that gets sidetracked and mm-hmm. you know I kind of jump around in the conversation. I can go on long diatribes. So I promised him there's so much good data in here that I want to mm-hmm. stay on point. Two little points I'll make there. One, regarding the link between risk and reward, been doing this a long time. When I see clients struggling emotionally with their investments, it is because they are wrestling in their minds with trying to disconnect those two things. Mm-hmm. They want to avoid the risk, but they want the returns. They haven't accepted the fact that if you're swinging for returns, right? If you're swinging for the fences, there's going to be a lot of strikeouts in the process of getting that home run. Mm-hmm. Okay, that is the that is the fact. Clients that want high returns but don't take the risk, they're always trying to find the weasel around, the way around that link, and it can't be done. It is mm-hmm. a law of nature, or at least it might as well be. Yeah, it might as well be. Yeah. So the sooner you can wrap that around your mind, wrap that thought into your mind and understand it and internalize it, the more comfortable your investing experience is going to be and the the less upset you'll get, right? Mm-hmm. The more you'll understand what's happening to yeah. your investments. Yeah, exactly. The second point I'll make is we are in that moment right now. Mm-hmm. That, that you mentioned, right? I can't tell you how many clients last year, luckily very few did. I think only one that I can think of did go to cash, but how many considered it? How many were asking, should I be going to cash? Should I be, you know, mm-hmm. hoarding what I have? Should I be, you know, hedging? Since Q4 of last year, we're up like 10, 11, 12, 13% based on the amount of risk in your portfolio. Mm-hmm. Like it's been a really good stretch in the market. Now, mm-hmm. does that mean we won't have a recession in the future? At some point we will, but in the process of worrying about what might happen, you've missed out on. Mm-hmm. And that is what underperformance looks like. Yep. It's not that you get it at the wrong time. It's that you miss the good time. Yeah, It's yep. right now, happening right now while you're worried, right? Yep. The market prices in information way before we do. Mm-hmm. So when the market's down and everyone's saying, you know, it's going to be terrible, or when we're saying it's going to be terrible, markets are up. Mm-hmm. And you're missing out on that because you're anticipating what is to come. And when it is terrible, we're sitting here going, man, it's terrible. The market's busy running up. Yeah. Right. So just let the market do its thing. Yeah. Let the market be more efficient than we are. Yeah. And just trust Continue. that. Yep. That's the thing. Just, trust, just, just trust that. For the most part, it's... I couldn't tell you why. Yeah. I mean, I, I have an idea in terms of the investment theory, yeah. but you don't need to know why, but the it, data proves it. Yeah. It's like exactly. gravity. I don't know why gravity is the way it is, but yeah. it is. But that, I mean... The <laughs> it, it is that way. Yeah. Like, I don't know why objects in space and mat, like that have mass... Well, Both actually, Adam, it, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, the curvature <laughs> stays all that. But just trust it. It's true. Let's move yeah. on. Yeah. Well, and let's get into some risk premiums here. And, yep. and ironically enough, and I didn't know this actually starting to read this book, this book mentions dimensional funds specifically. Okay. They were not, I don't know if he was paid by them. I don't know if, whatsoever. But when I was reading it, I was like, oh my gosh, he's talking yeah, about yeah, dimensional yeah. because those are the funds that we use. Um, and this data is, is not skewed to um, promote dimensional by any means. It's just, it's there. Anyone it's, can it's the it, data. Like this data was found before dimensional was found. Yep. And then dimensional used this data. That's right. Um, so the the explain the, if you don't mind for us, Adam, the yeah. value versus growth premium. Sure. So every stock price has two components, mm-hmm. right? It's it's some percentage value and it's some percentage growth. 
the value part of a stock price is the stuff that we can we can as- ascribe a value today to. So mm-hmm. these th- this would be you know if we were to liquidate the company and sell its stuff, you have capital, you have um, assets on the books, you have accounts payable, you have stuff that's worth something today in today's dollars. Mm-hmm. We can ascribe an amount to that. The growth component is expectation of future potential, expectation of future production, future mm-hmm. earnings, right? Um, so a growthy, you hear the term like, this is a very growthy stock. Essentially what that means is it's not produced, it's probably not profitable, it's, you know, but the potential, if it does execute on its vision, on its on its strategy, on its product, whatever it is, it could really, really do well, right? Because mm-hmm. they have something disruptive. Fundamentally, if you think about it, just intuitively, I would go, well, if I want high returns, I want to buy growth stocks, mm-hmm. right? I want, I want to buy, buy good companies. I want to buy good companies that are growing yeah. because I want my money to grow. I want to yeah. grow with these companies. But when you actually look at it, when you invest, and, and a lot of this is psychological and behavioral in nature, but if you look at the data, value stocks as a basket, and again, it's that idea of diversification, not any one stock, a basket of value stocks over time outperforms a basket of growth stocks. Because a lot of those characteristics that I just mentioned that growth stocks have, like they're not profitable if they execute. There's a lot of ifs in there. Mm -hmm. Value stocks are doing it now, today. Mm -hmm. They are producing a dividend, producing earnings. Like it might not be sexy and exciting and, you know, Mm -hmm. Coca-Cola's been doing a long time, but gosh darn it, They've been doing it a long time. Yeah, they exactly. probably will keep doing it. Yeah. You know? There's nothing so it's, new revolutionary about Coca-Cola. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bird in the hand versus the two in the bush. And yeah. unfortunately, a lot of times that two in the bush never never materializes. And so mm-hmm. when you account for that, um, value stocks and a tilt towards value stocks outperforms. And so when we talk about a risk premium, it is that notion. It is that notion that value stocks over time do outperform growth stocks. The same thing is true like in a more basic way talk about the equity premium, right? Equity is another word for stock versus bond. The equity premium is just this notion that equities over time, stocks over time have a higher return than bonds over time. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing, there's nothing like that says it has to be. Mm-hmm. And there are periods where bonds outperform. Mm-hmm. But over long periods of time, we would anticipate because stocks are riskier, we get a yeah. higher return with them. So yeah. there are many risk premiums. The ones that have the strongest and the best data and the biggest difference mm-hmm. in those one is the value versus growth. So do you think yeah. did I explain that? No, I think I well? think so as well. I, I mean, that's true. And it's just kind of weird. Like Walmart is considered a, I think a growth stock right now, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And like, well, I don't know if Kmart's still around. They might not be, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but like, like let's Probably just say Kmart. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. In two thousand, let's go back to two thousand, right? Yeah. Uh, Kmart would be considered a value stock, right? Because yeah. their their price of their actual stock is not so high. It's right? closer to their book value. Yeah, it's closer to their book value uh, versus Walmart's is higher, and yeah. therefore Walmart, yes, is a good company, but their stock is bad. Yep. Right. And on the flip side, Kmart is a bad company, but their stock is a good stock because there is a high reward with it. Granted, there is more risk right. with a value company. I want to make sure that's clear. There, like, that's, there is technically more risk with a value company. With a value company? With a value company, there is more risk that's inherent because a value company, right, may... It's, right, because if you're getting paid more for a value, right, if we go back to what we just talked about, risk and reward is... Okay, I, and, I see yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, I so it's, you're saying. It's, it's very, like, please read the book for this. Yeah, I'm probably yeah, going to yeah, butcher yeah, yeah. it. Um, but a value company is technically a little bit more risky in the terms of the market, in the eyes of the market, than sure. a growth company is. And and by that, I mean, by the terms of the market is just how they're evaluating it, right. not 
I mean, Coca-Cola is not a risky company. I wouldn't say they're risky by any means. Right. But in terms of the market, they're a little bit riskier because they don't think it's going to grow as much as X stock. Whatever. That's right. So that's what I mean by that. Understood. Understood. Is that and, cool? and there's no, like, to be clear, there's no official, like, agency that says this is a growth stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a value stock. <laughs> These are, that's why I said every stock price has both components. They it's definitely just, do. yeah. You know, some of them are ninety percent growth potential. Some are ten percent, yeah. you know, value, and so it's it's some of that is a view that you're taking yeah. on is this a growth versus yeah. value stock? But there are some fundamentals we can all agree to that says this is a more value oriented stock. Yeah, and it just has to do with its price relative to its fundamentals, its financials, yeah. right? Yeah, and so the closer that price is to your fundamentals that back it up in mm-hmm. today's performance as a company, the more value you are. Mm-hmm. That's the value versus. Sorry, I hope I didn't green. confuse no, any no, of you. Does that make no, sense? I think okay. It was a good okay. delineation. I appreciate yeah. you because you confused me for a minute. I yeah. was like, wait. No, because I mean, no, when I first I read the book, I was like, you're what? Yeah, 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 and then, <laughs> but yeah, but it, that's, it makes that's sense. That's one of the premiums. Yeah. Um, and we're a big fan of that, by the, the way. Uh, next one is small, small versus, versus large. large. Yes. Yep. Walk us through. This isn't as, as difficult, I think, as value versus growth because it's, it's either this or it's not. It's, it's large or it is small. Or I mean, mid cap, whatever, if you want to get into three categories there. But large cap stocks um, are, what, 10 billion plus Mm -hmm. in market cap weight, which just means all the available stock out there times the price is their market cap. Um, And correct me if I'm wrong, right? Yep. Cool. Finance. So that, like, that's what a, that's what a large cap stock is. Small cap is under that, I believe. I want to say it's like, yeah, yeah, I think it's 3 billion. And then anything in between that is, is mid cap. Yep. But all in all, Again, in, in the long term, small cap over, I think the, the data range is 1928 to 2022. Over the long term, small cap has outperformed large cap. Why is that? Because there is more inherent risk with small cap stocks. Yep. And again, back to the whole point of risk and reward are inextricably intertwined. That's why that is. That's truthfully yep. what it comes down to is pe- you are rewarded more for taking more risk in a small cap company. Um, if we, if we over time, in, yeah, over, in, over in time, diversified. Yes. Manner. Yes. Sorry. Right. Sorry. Make sure that is very clear. Yeah. Cause uh, we're not saying again, I think we mentioned this in, in it might've been the very last episode, but yeah. Um, which was a few days ago. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we're not saying that we don't like growth stocks or that we don't like large cap stocks. Yeah. We certainly do. We're saying this is a slight hedge. It's a slight yeah. shifting of the ice tray, right? If you have yeah. an ice tray, we just want to shift a little bit of that water into this end where the small yeah. cap stocks are. We still want water in the large cap end. Yeah. We're just shifting because over time in the aggregate that will accrue as additional return. Yeah, yeah. And that's something that's very crucial. This is over time. There are periods where large cap stocks oh, yeah. outperform small. We've been in one. Yeah, we've been in one. And there's been times when growth has outperformed value for sure. Yep. But we're not talking 20 years. We're talking, I mean, 40 plus. Yep. I mean, in this case, we're talking almost 100 years because 1928 to 2022 dimensional U.S. small cap index uh, annualized return was 11.8 percent, yep. and then if we look at the same date range for the S&P 500 index, it was 9.8 percent. And the S&P 500 is large cap, large Biggest cap, the big large cap growth for that matter too. Now uh, it is, yeah, yeah for um, sure. But yeah, large cap. So 11.8 so, versus 9.8 annualized, annualized. That's two percent per year. Yeah, that is a massive, massive difference. And then you got to take in like. I mean, 2% per year is is big, right? But you also got to think about compounding. And then when you add mm-hmm. compounding into that, you're oh. compounding 11.8% on 11.8%. Back, yep. Like versus nine is 9.8% on 9.8%. So that 2% difference every year gets even bigger yep. and even bigger over time. When you see the growth of wealth charts, I don't know what it is off the top of my head. Yep. When you see those growth of wealth charts, it's 
wildly different. It's not just 2% at the end difference. Yep. Uh, so it's it's much bigger than that. But So let's keep it moving. Yep. I want to make sure we talk about, because this is a really important thing. Mm-hmm. We talk about, we get questions about this all the time as it relates to the question of how much of my money should be in US stocks? How mm-hmm. much should be non-US or international, yeah. however you want to call that, international emerging, whatever. It's well known there's geography bias globe-wide, right? So people that live, no matter where you live, investors in a given country want to invest most of their money in that country. Mm-hmm. That's documented. But we need to rise above that that bias, mm-hmm. right? That geography bias, we need to look at the data. So there's a lot of data, especially lately, that would bias US equities relative to non-US equities. And that's kind of the 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 view. It's not US versus Europe. It's because we're about half of global global equity value. Actually, so it's more than that right now, but yeah. Yeah, it's like 53, I think. It's like US and non-US are your options, right? And so if you want to look at those baskets, US does look good right now. But if you think about it in terms of history, for most of the US's history relative to the rest of the world, we have been a fairly risky place to invest, mm-hmm. right? Now, we're unsure. Yeah. Maybe more in the modern era, like let's say post-depression onward, especially this really, really hit like post-globalization, post-World War II, where yeah. we became head and shoulders above the rest of the world, the gold standard of a market. Like yeah. if you want to invest in the best markets and the best companies in the world, you went to the US. So as a result of that demand, right, as being seen as a sure thing, quote unquote, prices have risen. Mm-hmm. Well, that's great for people that invested back then, but what does that mean for people investing today? If prices are high now, it means by definition, future returns will be lower. Yeah, and if this U.S. is more secure, with more security comes, comes lower less returns. Less growth over time. Yeah. And so that's... We're not here to say that U.S. is like, don't invest in the U.S. or like, it's over. Of course you want to invest in the know? U.S., but, but we're just saying the idea that, look, the bias has been anti-global diversification. Mm-hmm. It has been concentration in U.S. equity. Yeah. Um, and that is what we are pushing against. It is, if you're a long-term investor, that's not going to work in your favor. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure you're doing it in a risk-adjusted way, but you definitely still want to remain globally diversified. Yeah. And again, we have some data to back that up. Want to walk us through? Yeah, I was just going to say the fact, I mean, from 1969 to 2002, EAFE, if you ever see that acronym, all that means is Europe, Australia, Far East. Index, so that index returned 11.89% and the S&P 500 returned 12.17. And you might say, well, you guys just said globally diversified when the US beat them. Well, yes, Correct. but there are years in between there that the EAFE did better than the S&P, right? Which is it's what just, diversification is all yeah, about. It, and like you're lowering your risk of not capturing you're either of those. smoothing out yeah. your return. Yeah, exactly. And so there is no bet. I mean, again, returns... Are hindsight are very hindsight based, right? You can yep. be like, well, of course the U.S. did better. Well, yeah, I'm saying that now, but I, there's no way I would have known that in 1969. And so, so what if I said from 2003? And I, I know you know the answer, so I'm not going to ask you, yeah. but I wish I could because there's no way you would guess the answer. Yeah, but from 2003 to 2023, I've, I've got, a, I've got, an, I've got an idea here. If you, yeah. if you know one, yeah. give. I'm gonna, we're gonna give the audience like five guesses, five countries. Pick yeah. the best one. Like in your head, take your guess which one it is, and we'll tell you which one it is. Okay. See what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. So, so list the top five countries. Yeah. All right. So from 20, from 2003 to 2023, 20 year span, which of these countries had the greatest return? We'll go, we'll give you the US, Hong Kong, Australia, Denmark, or Sweden. Give you five seconds to think about it. Mm-hmm. All right. It was Denmark. Yep. Right. So this idea that it's always U.S. Now, U.S. was not two. They were not three. They were four. 
Now, mm-hmm. as an individual country, that's fine. In the given year, we're going to be up near the top. But it just goes to demonstrate if you want to maximize your return over time, you by definition mathematically need exposure to non-US countries mm-hmm. or you will not have as good of a return as you could. And more importantly, to your point, you will have a less smooth return experience over yeah. that time because you won't be as diversified. Exactly. And and just just because I think this was wild. I mean, I got asked this question when I originally got asked this question and didn't know it. I was dumbstruck. Denmark, not only did they win, but they won by, I think, 3% annualized over that 20-year period. They, they crushed it in comparison to everyone else. And it was a 14.3% annualized return for Denmark. Wow. So $1 million That's turned into... 60% cumulative. That's yeah. insane. They, they, $1 million turned into $14.5 million in 20 years. That's yep. nuts. Yep. So anyway, be exposed. And also there's this, this concept of like, if I have large cap stocks, those large cap companies have some globalization aspects to them. So therefore I'm exposed to those markets. Mm-hmm. Not really, not fully. Uh, they behave, like you, we said before this, this podcast, they behave different than if you have a, a stock that's a, a foreign company. That's right. So just, I don't, I, I think that bias is kind of becoming well, more because common. because you're paying if, a premium for that US stock yeah. relative to what you might be paying in, let's say, European stock. Yeah. And you have to factor that in. So yeah. that's a long story that you know we could spend time there, but I want to keep moving because there's yep. so much good stuff left here. I do want to mention in this pillar, it is mentioned resoundingly, there is almost no evidence the stock picking works. The skill among active managers mm-hmm. does not exist. It is, it is literally cracked up to random chance. It is like it can be explained by um, random chance, and the way they do that, I can't. I, I can't remember if that's specifically how he, how he does it in this book. Actually, I'm trying to remember if I've read this book <laughs> since Bruce has recommended it to you. I, I will reread it for sure um, if I haven't already. But you, typically, how this is done is they take managed mutual funds mm-hmm. and they track them over time. Right? They get their data and they track them over time. And if you look at like the top hundred, it is. I mean, it looks like you put them in a jar and you just shook them up and dumped them out. Said mm-hmm. who's on top. That is literally what it comes down to is there is no rhyme or reason as to who's in first, who's in second, who's in last. Not only that, but the chance they're going to repeat any amount of success, even mm-hmm. being in the top quantile is impossible. Yeah. So it is, it is fair to say, and these are not, you know, average Joes. These are professionals, like very yeah. highly compensated Wall Street professionals that go to Ivy League colleges mm-hmm. that cannot beat the market. So, and, it, and that's something mentioning. that he talks about is like, if you go to your physician, you expect your physician to be the best and have like with more studying comes more return, like a better physician, right? Or an engineer for that matter or something along those lines. But the more studying they do, the more practice they have, the better they are. It doesn't show that here in in the financial realm. For stock pickers, I want to make sure that's clear. For stock pickers, that's not that's not a sure thing, right? right? If they may have the best education in the world and they may have been in there for 20 years on a year to year basis, it's cracked up to random chance. Yep. And so... And the reason yep. is, is because there's just too much, there's too much that goes into making up a return for a given mm-hmm. investment set. So an example yep. of that, if you invested, and there's an, there's another example that I use a lot with clients using the S&P 500, but this works just as well. If you invested $1,000 in 1997 and you invested that into the Russell 3000, at the end of 25 years, that $1,000 would turn into $10,367. So let's just call it $10.3,000, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you put in a thousand, didn't touch it, didn't add any, didn't take any out, you just let it go, left it invest the entire time from one to 10.3. Over that same period, if you did the exact same thing, but you happened to miss the best week that the Russell 3000 had over that 25 year period, which was in 2008, 
you missed just the best week. Instead of ending at 10.3 thousand, you end at 8,652. So that's mm-hmm. just under, let's say that's $1,600. Mm-hmm. So you're yep. coming up at 17, 18% of your total return was provided in a one week span over 25 years. Mm-hmm. That is not an outlier. You've the, there are examples of this going back 100 years using different indexes across the globe. That is how returns materialize. Mm-hmm. We don't know when they're going to show up. And active managers too often have cash. Mm-hmm. They're on the sideline. They make predictions. They make predictions of downturns. They want to miss that downturn and they're wrong. They miss a mass amount of that return from which they cannot recover from a performance standpoint. Mm-hmm. So it's a, again, it's back to the key is stay in your seat. Yep, stay in your seat. Trust your risk mitigation. Trust your asset allocation. Trust your long-term goal, not the mm-hmm. short-term goal of wanting to miss some discomfort. Trust where you're trying to get 10 years mm-hmm. from now, 20 years from now, and let the market do it. Yeah, and let them, like like you said, let the market do its thing. Trust your, trust your allocation. And that's the one thing, this is really nice. That's the one thing you can control is your allocation. Yep. You, you can't control the returns it's going to have, but you can control the amount of risk you're going to be exposed to with your allocation, right? Yep. And that is one of the number one things is that's have faith in that, right? Absolutely. So, all right. So that was pillar one, moving on to pillar two, and then we're going to, we're going to end at the end of pillar two for this episode. We'll do pillar three and four in a follow-up episode, but yep. let's move on to pillar two, which is the history of investing. Yes. And yes. this covers a lot of important things. We touched on this last episode. You even mentioned we were going to cover this in future episodes. Let's cover it right now. Bubbles. Oh yeah, maybe. Bubbles are a big part of investing. If you invest for any amount of time, at some point in your investing life, you will encounter a bubble. And you, yeah, if you haven't, that's nuts. I don't, you you haven't been investing a long time. There's been multiple. There's been multiple even in the last couple of decades. Yeah. Uh, Crypto being the latest. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a couple things that, that make a bubble happen. Mm-hmm. Walk us through a few some ingredients, of them. Uh, and these these four key ingredients really. Um, and I don't know if they're the only key ingredients, but they're definitely present in a yeah. lot of them. Uh, is a major technological revolution or shift in the financial practice, liquidity, which is really easy to get. So there's just a lot of free money flowing around, and a lot of people wanting to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then amnesia for the last bubble. So we forget that this happens, and what happens when we chase this the shiny object. Mm-hmm. And then number four is the abandonment of time-honored methods of security valuation, usually caused by the overtake of the market by inexperienced investors. And this is just, again, when when everyone wants to start jumping in because the prices are going up. When prices yeah. are going up, it is a frenzy. And people start buying in and saying like, hey, it's going up. I want to buy now. And it's like, that's actually probably not the best time to buy. It's really interesting. It's it's so counterintuitive to what we do in the other areas of our life. When we go, do you go to the supermarket when they say, hey, we have an upsell of uh, 10% on strawberries today? No. You, why? Why, right. why would I want right. to buy that? I'll wait. Yeah, yeah exactly. This will surely pass. I, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Would you go there when they say hey, we have a 10% sale on strawberries and buy strawberries? Yeah, that's when yeah. I go. It's the reverse for Dude. markets. And it's, again, it comes between down to what's between your ears of like, yep. it's going up. I want to jump on it now. It looks bubbles good. are the original FOMO. Yeah. That's, oh, that's yeah. literally oh, yeah. what it is. It's, it's people looking around going. You're going to see that in a media clip later. I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah. Like they must know something I don't. Yeah. And I don't want to miss out on what they're about to get. And it's almost like, hey, I'm okay with flaming out because then everyone else will have flamed out with me. Yeah. I just don't want to miss out if everyone make, gets rich. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's a really damaging cycle. We've seen it time and time and time again. Mm-hmm. Do I think we'll ever learn? I don't. But if we can help people on the margins yeah. avoid that and 
again, indexing by its nature will help you avoid that if you do yeah. it right. Um, I think there's a lot of these components that are here today. I mean, liquidity, we've had easy credit for the last decade. Mm-hmm. That's why you saw equity prices jump as much as you did. Um, you know, talking about a major technological revolution, AI yeah. could definitely be kind of yeah. the next kind of incubator for that bubble. Mm-hmm. Amnesia for the last bubble, you said it takes 30 years, I believe. And we're at 23. We're at 23 since the last technical bubble, um, uh, which was the dot-com bubble. The financial crisis notwithstanding, that wasn't really a yeah. pure stock market bubble. But yeah. nonetheless, um, there's a component that says, hey, we've, we've gotten some distance from the last crash mm-hmm. and that memory has faded. And now we have kind of a new generation entering with new money um, to burn. and they think they can reinvent the wheel, mm-hmm. right? And all of those things, I think, are present. So doesn't mean we're in a bubble now, but I think it means it might not be the worst thing to be wary and to be alert. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. For, if you, for what could be. If you see these four things happening, in particular in one area, right, or one sector, for example, let's use AI. Mm-hmm. If you see these things starting to form, yeah, don't go chase AI. Right. That's that's all I'm saying is just be, like, like what I think we're both saying, like just be careful, be hesitant, be aware yeah. Yeah. Uh, of these things. So, and and. To that point, uh, and kind of going on to the next bullet point here of like, let's go way back. Let's take a journey back to England, right? Before the US was really a thing. And when canals were first made, the guy that originally made the canal revolutionized travel in England, right? It was really risky to travel overland. It was really dangerous, really expensive. And it took a long time. These canals revolutionized that. It was was much quicker, much safer, uh, and and way more cost-effective. The people that originally bought into the canal system, yeah, they profited a lot. And, and the people that bought in late after the prices had gone up and after those companies had succeeded, the people that bought in late, they didn't benefit as much. But as a whole, society did because now That's travel right. was made easier. So the companies that were taking advantage of the canals did really well. And and those are the companies that they want to do, you want to invest in. Yep. But again, chasing that shiny object for a few was great. Yep. But for the ma- vast majority that got in late, really bad, like Agreed. devastating, right? They could, yeah, because some of them also tank, right? And, and, and fall. And as we said in one of, the, one of the last podcasts, he said, all these bodies on the side of the road, quite literally probably in yeah. England. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. Well, uh, I think, I mean, you know, there's a, the foremost, who's, who said this? John Simpleton, mm-hmm. the famous phrase, the foremost expensive words in the English language are, this time it's different, mm-hmm. right? It's this idea that the rules that have been no longer apply, we're in this new era, Usually not true. Mm-hmm. Usually not true. It's it's driven by other factors, driven by excess, it's driven by too much cash in the system. Um, and at the end of the day, it's driven by greed. Yeah. And I think one thing that's so interesting about this time, it's different because I think as advisors, you hear that on both sides of the coin. You hear that in the downturn and you hear that in the upside, right? You hear that about AI, right? Oh, this time it's different. AI is here forever and I'm going to make a lot of money. Yep. You also hear that when everything goes down in the sense of like, oh, this crash is different. It's here for the long run. This time it's different, right? And that is expensive because you are not willing to invest when the things look when the it's bleakest. Cheap. Yeah, when it's cheap. When it's cheap. Buy low, and sell high. Yeah, exactly. And you're also, and it's the most expensive again on the other side when things are the brightest, when you want to invest because that's when you're going to get burned. That's right. And that's so you should sell. We'll yeah. Table those gains. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's yeah. rebalancing. Yeah, we'll get to that There's later. A, so one of the bullet points that I just read that I think is so, I mean, it, it's almost like a, a throwaway that you put in here, but it's it's so incredibly important. When recent returns for a given asset class have been very high or very low, put your faith in the longest data series you can find, not just the most recent data. Mm-hmm. How many times have you said that to a client? I mean, I, I've said it hundreds. Yeah. Hundreds. Well, 
What about this ticker symbol? It's been negative 3% since 2020. Like, and? Yeah. Like, that's literally my response. I don't say it that way. I'm <laughs> nice. You, you wanted to keep them as a client? Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, no, it's because I'm understanding of where yeah. they're coming from. It's uncomfortable. I yeah. get it. But there's no, there's no definitive action to be taken there. there mm-hmm. There's no, there's no predictive quality in that number. Okay. Negative mm-hmm. 3% for three years. That's every bit as indicative of that same ticker symbol having positive 7% for four years. Like mm-hmm. it's part of the experience. It's part of the ride. I get it. It stinks. I'd rather it always be up, but that's just not the world we live in. Yeah. So when you're evaluating anything, more data is better. I assure yeah. you, because that's when real trends start to show up. And you can actually, you know, try to identify things like risk premiums. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's it it is uh it's a it's a wild ride on the market, to be honest. And you just gotta help people be aware of like this is going to be a roller coaster. And sometimes we're gonna be in a trough or this ticker symbol, for example. Yep. We'll be in a trough for a little bit and it's okay. And it's okay for it to be there. Yep. It really is. And well, it's like lo- right now. Yeah. I mean, I we get a lot of questions about I say a lot of questions. You always have those clients that are, they, they typically tend to be your more politically oriented clients, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's, uh-huh. whether it's, you know, on either side of the aisle, right? From let's say 2016 to 2020, it was people on the left where it's all over. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to sell because it's just, there's no way the market, you know, this guy's insane. He's going to blow us all up. And then the last couple of years, it's been people on the right going, it's all over. You know, this guy, he can't even speak. He, he's you know mentally not there. He's going to spend us into oblivion. Blah, 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 blah. Now, am I sitting here saying the U.S. will be, you know, at the top of the, the, the heat for the next 5,000 years? No, there will come a day. Yeah. I'm sure. All I'm saying is you've got a life expectancy on average of, let's say, 25 to 30 years. Okay. Oh, from when they're talking to you. From when they're talking oh, okay. to you. I'm I was saying like, the average person that gets <laughs> yeah. financial advice, you pick yeah, them out of a bucket. Yeah. That's probably their finan- their life expectancy. Yeah. All I'm arguing is that today's probably not that day. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. It's yeah. because I have a lot of data that says the status quo is the most likely thing today. Mm-hmm. Now, someday I'll be wrong, but again, I'll bet tomorrow that it's not tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. And every day that I'm alive to bet, guess what I'm going to bet? Yeah. The status quo is going to win. And I am overwhelmingly likely to be right. Now, you might have a different feeling. All I'm saying is you have no data on your side to support. Yeah. yeah. Right? You have your impulse and your discomfort and your anxiety about the world. That's fine. But that does not make a recipe for a good investment decision. No, it does not. Yeah. And that's... That's, that's not where discipline comes from. Yeah. yeah that's the, at the core of what... Like your North Star has to yeah. be something that doesn't change with the winds. Yeah, exactly. Does that kind of make sense? No, absolutely. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's kind of to this next... One of these next bullet points. And this is using a longer data set than the last 20 years. Because okay? yep. that's what... To be honest, it seems like everyone has references the last 20 years from 2000 to now. Um, but let's go back to one of the worst bubbles, 1970, 1975. Um, this is really interesting. And it just kind of baffled me a little bit. And this mm-hmm. is, again, making sure you're returning back to the principles, returning back to the disciplines, to the time-honored things, right? Uh, having your North Star not be yep. blown away by the winds. From 1970 to 1975, the number of investors declined in every age group except individuals older than 65. Yep. And that's because this was stag- this, this was the stagflation era. Yeah, the stagflation era. This is when that like the famous I think it was Business Weekly came out with the death of equities. Like yep. it was over. Yep. Like if you're buying stocks, you're an idiot kind yep. of thing. And and everyone was investing in gold, futures, real estate, um, and a few other things. I'm not sure, but that's what everyone was doing. And if you were investing in stocks, 
when you were made fun of as a geezer because they said like if you went to a a, st- a show about the markets or some convention that was about stocks, it was just a bunch of old timers in there. Right. Um, but all those old timers, let me tell you, Bank. did stinking well yeah. because I think after that, um, from nineteen, where is where is the? If you find the data, let me know. I think from nineteen. 20 years after 1974, the annual return was 15.1%. That's nuts. Yeah. That's awesome. And why? Right. They had the perspective. They had the memory. Yeah. They had the the memory. They had the memory that goes, we've been here before. Yeah. They had the memory of the, I mean, some of them were probably old enough to remember the uh, Great Depression. Oh, yeah. And what was, do you know what what the the return was after 1932? Would have been about my age now in 1975. So, yeah. 1932, the 20 years following that, which was one of the bleakest points of the of the Great Depression, 15.4% annualized return. Yeah. And so again, time-honored investment principles, time-honored discipline um, strategies, uh, they pay It's almost off. a belief in the market cycle. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like you're going to have periods of loss, you're going to have periods of growth, and they're going to ebb and flow. Yeah. And they, they yeah, it's, it's just having that memory, right? It is. And, and, that's and having what, that perspective. Yeah, exactly. That's all it is, which is why we talk so much about the psychological part of this, the mental part of this. It's mastering that. It is yeah. The market's not your problem. Your ticker symbols are not your problem. It is your behavior. Yeah. It is the way <laughs> that you're interacting with those ticker symbols that is, that is hurting your yeah, long-term exactly, trajectory. Exactly. And I don't even, and, and not, to, uh, not to be a little bit hypocritical here, be, and because we've always talked about, you got to have a longer time horizon than 20 years. Well, let's go beyond 20 years from 1974 and forward in 1932 yeah. and forward. So let's go a bigger range of dates here. Yeah. Uh, and this is provided by um, Dimensional. So I want to give a shout out to them. This is, uh, their Matrix book is wonderful. Yeah, it's awesome. The Crisp Index, right? Which is yeah. just an all market index, basically. Right. Um, 1932 to 2022. 11% annualized. Yep. 1974 to 2022, 11% annualized return. Let's go to the S&P 500. 1932 to 2022. I'm just going to, those are the same dates throughout all this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's 32 uh, to 22 versus 74 to 22. Yeah. 11%, 10.9%. So 1.1% difference there. Uh, dimensional US large cap value index. So kind of calling back to that whole value premium. Yep. Um, 12.9% return and then a 13.1% return. Yep. Uh, and then finally, combining both premiums, uh, Shocker has the best returns. A yep. dimensional US small cap value index from 1932 to 2022, 15.8% annualized return. 1974 to 2022, 16.4% yep. annualized return. So just to demonstrate those risk premiums for the, for the large cap, premium, it was 12.9 versus 11 and 13.1 versus 10.9. For the small cap value premium, it was 15.8 versus 11 and 16.4 versus 10.9. Yeah. So that's what we were talking about in part one, those risk premiums. They're real and they're powerful. And if you can have the patience to capture them, because again, it doesn't show, it doesn't feel like that, yeah. right? There are years where you lose to the, the basic index. Yeah. But over time in the aggregate, that, that, that span is definitely real and it's powerful. Yeah. I, I appreciate that, Dan. I appreciate you putting that data together because I know it's boring to listen to in a podcast fashion, but it is what makes the point. It is inarguable. Yeah. Those numbers are real. That's not a lie. That's not something we made up. Like yeah. so that's if you pull the data or or we pull the data, it's gonna right. return the same thing. And so anytime you're making a decision counter to this data, what you're saying is today, this point in time is when all of these trends stop. It is yeah. now different. <laughs> yeah. And so just recognize, fine, 
go do it. But recognize the boldness and the, I would argue, arrogance that comes with that claim. Yeah, yeah. That you are the one deciding. I have identified among billions of people yeah. in the world. <laughs> yeah. I are paying have, a lot of money. I have identified that today it all stopped. Okay. <laughs> I, like I, you almost can't argue with it. It's yeah. like fine. And yeah, you know, but you can't with every conversation you have, you can't sit here and have an hour long conversation. Yeah. But arm yourself with this data. Yeah. It is a weapon that you can use against your own emotions that will try to undermine you because it happens to me. And I know this data yeah. as well as anybody, your emotions are powerful. And it, it to some extent, perception is reality. So if you're mm -hmm. feeling like everything's falling apart, everything's falling apart. Mm -hmm. So you have to have something to rely on in that moment to pull out and go, no, this, is, this <laughs> yeah. is truth. Yeah. This is ethereal. Yeah. I'm going to fall on the truth. Yeah, right? exactly. And it's, and I mean, it's, don't get me wrong. I want to empathize with all the listeners. It's hard. I like, I have days where I look at NVIDIA, what, two weeks ago went up 46%. And I was like, mm, should I buy? That kind of looks nice. But yeah. like, I didn't, I didn't. And, uh, sorry, I feel like I'm being accused and I'm not, or I'm like in trouble. <laughs> right. no. I didn't add my swear. Oh, yeah, no, <laughs> but, uh, Good, uh, just check. Yeah. But I, I'm in all fairness though, I felt it. Like I, I feel that we feel that. Right. Yep. And, and when we see things that are like some of the ticker symbols that we're in and personally, and they're down, it's like, well, should I sell out of it? And like, no, it's only been a year. Like yep. calm down. This is this portfolio or this account is open for hopefully 40 or 60 plus years, right? Yep. And so, yeah, the, we, we feel these things too. As, so let's, as let's encapsulate investors. all that then. Because what we're really describing is good investors, like the behavior mm -hmm. of good investors and what they know that yeah. everybody else doesn't know, right? So if yeah. we were to say, what is the difference between, you could call it a pro versus an amateur, a good investor versus a bad investor, mm -hmm. what are the, the couple of things that would, the go, minimum. That, that would go in that list. And I, I think we have a couple that we can identify. And I'll, I'll throw my first one out there, yeah. which is there's a couple of knowledge points, a couple of action points. The first knowledge point is pros know that bear markets are a fact. Mm -hmm. like you can't get around them. You can't time your way around them. Bear markets happen. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to go through them. Now, I would add on to that as a sub point. They also know that the action to take is to lean into that bear market. Mm -hmm. Buy. Reinvest, yep. Yep. Hoover up shares at the cheap because they also know that just like bear markets are inevitable, boom so markets are yeah. too. Right? Yeah. So are those bulls. So one of those one of the best quotes ever is whenever that that time when you're mad at me, take a brick, tie a check around it, throw it through my window, and I'll, I'll invest, invest a check. Yeah, exactly. And it's that's the when the, in a bear market, right? It is that same concept. Yeah. There's a couple others. Why don't you bring us? Home? Yeah. Um, minimum, stay put when you're in that bear market. Stay put and don't sell out. That is one of the most, and that's, it's kind of back to that, that famous quote, this time it's different. That is, those are really expensive words, right? If you act mm -hmm. upon that this time it's different, it's going to hurt. Yep. And so the best thing to do is to stay put and don't panic and sell out. Yep. Um, and then finally, this kind of stays in line with staying put, but stay in your allocation. The yep. one that you picked overall uh, to start out with uh, is, is the best place to be in that moment, yep. right? Don't, don't try to change your strategy now that the market's gone down or the market's gone up for that matter. Yep. Don't change. Use those opportunities Keep, to rebalance. Yep. Um, I think yep. it all goes back thing. to what we said at the beginning, which is good investors understand that risk and return, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's the same element. Yeah. Just different sides. Right? It's, it's the same. It's two sides of the same exact coin. You yep. can't get away from them. So when you're in that bear market, don't run from it. Mm -hmm. Leverage it. Exactly. Use, Use it, it to your advantage, right? Because sure. the other side of that coin is coming around at some point. And at that point, it'll all come to fruition. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know, man. I'm so passionate about this. You could probably sense like there's frustration there, right? Because I've been doing this for so long. Like I'm so passionate about, I want people well, to get it. And, it. and largely they do, but there's, I'm always thinking about that next one yeah. that's going to fall victim to it. And, the and one I want thing, them to hear this. And one thing I wanted to say when you were saying you, about that one individual, or not, there isn't a particular individual that I'm thinking of, but when that one individual comes to you and says like, I know that today is the day, it's usually based off one factor. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me that one factor influences the entire, Entire market, yeah. on everything, right? No, it's going to no everything else. Yeah, exactly. There's no way. Like, don't get me wrong. The president, yes, has some influence for sure. Mm -hmm. But the companies that run these or are behind these stocks that back these stocks, they're going to adapt to that president or those new rules or those new regulations. Yep. And they're going to change. Yep. Influ uh, uh, finance. Uh, well, interest rates. Mm -hmm. They're also a factor, right? <laughs> Absolutely. There's a million factors that are are put in and, and brought in well, to each of those prices I, I, and I not in each one of them like fully dictates the price of that stock. There's an infinite yeah. number of factors. Yeah. Legitimately. You're a factor. Yeah. I'm a factor. This house is a factor. The weather outside is a factor. Yeah. How many people drive up and down my street today is a factor. Yeah. Like everything is a factor in the market. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. So, and so to try to, you know, parse that out, well, it's impossible. And to say like this one thing is going to change is like is now going to stop all this data from being true accurate anymore or applicable anymore is like no. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's also undervaluing the yeah. experience of prior investors for the yeah, last hundred years. Like exactly. they went through some crap too, yeah. man. Yeah. Like yeah. they experienced some tough times. World War yeah. II was pretty hairy there for a yeah. while. <laughs> Vietnam was certainly challenging. Yeah. Stagflation, as we mentioned, I don't remember World War One being a great time. Yeah, exactly. Great Depression certainly tested some some metal. A lot of people. Yeah. So. We've been through a lot and markets are very robust. And so, again, arm your, don't trust us, read the book. Uh, we'll be back in, let's say, a week or two, depending on our schedules, uh, to hit up part two of this. In the meantime, stew on this. Mm -hmm. Like, start the book yourself. Come back and let's do us in part three and four. Hopefully, if you're reading through part three and four, maybe we can pepper in some insights that will enhance your understanding your of understanding yeah. of it and your experience of reading the book um as always i know today was data heavy i hope we didn't bore you to tears um i hope you guys know and can sense from listening to us how much we care about this mm -hmm. um this podcast is not a profit center for us we love doing it wait what I, it, yeah <laughs> it's 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 helpful to a lot of our clients but we do this because we're passionate about what we do every yeah. day and about the way we do it because yeah We've seen outcomes. We've seen the good and the bad. So I hope you guys know that we're here just to help you. Um, if you need anything from us, if you want to get in touch with us, email us at podcast at assetbuilder.com. Follow us if you would. That helps us out. We're on all the social media platforms yeah. at Asset Builder. Helps us get sponsors. Like I mean, we've yeah, got like five let's, lined let's up. make this a profit center, yeah. shall we? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, man, it's good to see you. Thanks for being here. Of course. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks and uh, we'll talk to you guys later. All right. Thanks. See y'all. If you have any questions for Adam or Janet concerning this topic or anything else, please visit us at our home on the web, assetbuilder.com slash podcast. There you can find their contact information as well as the show notes for every episode.